Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Monday morning, the 27th of March. Good morning, with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. Political opinion is divided over how to protect people from becoming homeless. It's six months since a ban on evictions was introduced last October. That ban ends on Friday and evictions can take place again from Saturday. Opposition parties have called for the ban to be extended for another 10 months up to the end of January next year. The government has said such an extension would contravene constitutional property rights. It also argues uh, that the ban on evictions hasn't worked with more people becoming homeless every month over the six months since its introduction. What's more is uh, the argument uh, that the government is making which is that extending the ban until the end of January would only make a bad situation worse and result in even more people becoming homeless next year than will be the case in the coming weeks. Opposition says lifting the ban now will result in a tsunami of evictions. Peter McVerry, housing advocate, is on the line. A very good morning to you, Peter. Thanks uh, for joining us on the programme, as always. It seems as though it's not just political opinion that is divided. A poll for the Sunday Business Post yesterday, a Red Sea poll, showed 46% of voters are opposed to ending the ban, but one in three, or 36%, of voters support the government. 18% say they don't know. Are you surprised by that, poll? I am, actually. I, I would have thought that the majority of, of people would support the, uh, the tenants who are about to be evicted and become homeless. I don't think 46% of the population want to see a huge increase in homelessness. So, uh, yes, I am surprised. I'm not sure if people really understood the consequences of uh, of that vote mm. that uh, cool, you know yeah. and mm-hmm. if you end if you don't end the uh, if you end the uh, the eviction ban then there is coming down the road a huge increase in homelessness okay but i'm yeah. sure you don't think that the government want people to come homeless the government says people will come ho- become homeless uh, but there's no avoiding that uh, and that the numbers will be fewer if the ban is lifted now no. than will be the case in january well, I don't accept that. You know why they don't want it to be extended till January? Because <laughs> there's local elections coming up in April or May. <laughs> and now you've seen the criticism that has been uh, created by the ending of the ban on evictions. They didn't, and, and the huge increase in, in homelessness that's going to result. They didn't want that happening in January when uh, the local elections were, were, were on top of them. I think that's the real reason why they didn't want to extend it. But I, I suppose that helps make the argument that the government is making that the situation will be worse at the end of January or it'll be terrible anyway. 
Well, there's no getting around it. If tenants uh, are are evicted uh, from their rented property, at the moment, there is nowhere to go. Mm. The emergency homeless services are all packed out. Many families would traditionally be accommodated in hotels, but the hotels are full, and many of the hotels are now going back to uh, uh, tourist uh, accommodation. So there's nowhere for those families to go. Mm. So we have a wave of human misery coming down the road with families already terrified Mm. by the announcement that the ban is to be lifted. They're absolutely terrified knowing that there is nowhere where they can go Mm. after the uh, the ban is... I can't uh, imagine for a second what people are going through. The anxiety must be through the roof and uh, the way you described it as human misery seems very apt. Uh, But what I can't understand... You said something the other day which... If I was a, 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 a landlord, I would be very worried by <laughs> He said, the only people who can evict you are the district court. Mm. A notice to quit is not an eviction notice. Nobody seems uh, to understand, uh, nobody seems to have understood what the Taoiseach was m- meant well, by that. Well, technically, that's very true. However, if I was a landlord, what that says to me is, my tenants don't have to leave after the notice to quit expires. They can wait until another 12 months till I take a case to the district court to get them to uh, to, to evict them. That would be my interpretation mm. if I was a landlord. And indeed, if I was a tenant, that would also be my interpretation. And would that there be your are. advice to tenants? I mean, if people are facing eviction from Saturday, uh, as people are, and those numbers will grow over the coming weeks and months, uh, would your advice to them be stay where you are until... Uh, 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 it's brought to the courts in 12 months from now. No, that's not my advice. Uh, And there are difficulties with that. Uh, If you do find another tenant uh, rented a property, uh, if you hang on, the the landlord, your landlord may not give you a reference, which may be required by the new landlord. No, I'm not giving them that advice, but that would be my interpretation if I were renting a property. That would be my interpretation of what the the Taoiseach has said. Mm. Remember, in the last three months of 2022, there were 4,700 notices to quit issued. 4,700. And we're talking there probably about six, 7,000 people when you include uh, uh, families with two or three people in them. That's a huge number of people who are going to lose their private rented accommodation over the next few months. And there's nowhere to go. There is nowhere for them to go. What I can't understand, though, is why something can't be done to change this situation from worsening over 10 months. It seems like an awful long time. The the, the proposal to extend the ban up to the end of January. Uh, Is it too short a time frame to make a a difference uh, that would result in fewer or no people being evicted? No, I think there are things that can be done. Uh, The government have ordered 700 modular homes. I would say order 7,000 modular homes. We have the land to put it on. The land is serviced. You could have 7,000 modular homes in place by next January. We have empty buildings all over the place. Waterford Council brought 45 empty buildings back into use over an 18-month period. Many local authorities brought none back into use. Some local authorities brought one back into use. 
we could do a lot more with the empty buildings that are uh, that blight the, the the streets of every town in in this country. So there are things that we can do in the short term which would alleviate the problem. Uh, I think it would have been far better to extend the ban and put those things into place uh, uh, rather than just suddenly, abruptly uh, ending this ban. The government have promised, I've said, there's two, two, two factors they've done. They've allowed the tenants to buy the house that they're renting, but that's pretty nonsensical. <laughs> Most renters mm. are renting because they can't afford to buy. Mm. And anyway, if you are renting, you're paying such exorbitant rents, you can't afford to save up for a deposit. So that's really a non But uh, as part of uh, that first refusal, uh, I think the government is suggesting if you can't uh, afford that a housing body could buy the house on your behalf and then rent it to you. That's true, but that was always the case. There was never any problem about that happening. So that's not a new, uh, a new. That's not the introduction of a new uh, thing. Mm. Yeah, that can happen. Again, will the local authorities step up to the mark? Will they be proactive in trying to uh, uh, engage with the landlord, engage with the tenants, and uh, and purchasing? I have my suspicions. I, I feel some some local authorities will, but I fear that some local authorities really uh, won't be won't be terribly interested in that. Okay, uh, Thomas Lynch uh, works with Helping Hands Communities in Dulic, and he's been in touch with us uh, about this. He says uh, he knows of a family that have been renting for the last uh, 10 years a three-bedroom property, uh, but the council won't purchase the property because the family are only eligible for a two-bedroom home. Uh, and he wonders if there's going to be more cases like that uh, that will prevent this proposal from working in practice. Uh, there may well be. I think, uh, you know, ticking the boxes is not what we require now at this moment. This is an emergency. And for local authorities to be ticking the boxes and saying, no, that box doesn't tick, You're not, we're, not, we're not going to buy it, that is not, a, in, my, in my estimation, that is not an adequate response to a huge, huge housing crisis that's about to get much worse. Right, but you believe 10 months would be long enough for the government uh, to introduce measures that would prevent people from becoming homeless pretty much altogether? It would help. It would help. I would have actually liked a longer uh, extension of the ban on, on, on evictions. But uh, 10 months would help. Now, for the, the, the majority of uh, reasons for the eviction is because the landlord wants to sell the house. Now, for some landlords, certainly they need to sell the house and they need to sell it fast because they're in financial difficulties. But for the vast majority of landlords, waiting 12 months, 10 or 12 months to sell the house is a minor inconvenience compared to the trauma that 4,700 households are going to go through yeah. <laughs> uh, in, in facing, in facing uh, homelessness. And, and as you and said, it, that could be six, 7,000 people. Uh, I think Sinn Féin were saying as many as 12,000 people could be facing homelessness. Uh, and time will tell what the exact figure is. But the government is arguing that not everybody in that situation will become homeless because many of them will move back to their parents or stay with friends on the couch or whatever the case may be. 
Yeah, that is true. Uh, and uh, I think uh, an unknown number will do that. But that's not a sustainable solution. Uh, they may move back in with family or friends, but in some cases that will overcrowd the house. Uh, relationships within that uh, uh, will, will deteriorate and eventually they're going to have to move out. That's already what's happening uh, with, with, with evictions. So I think it's not uh, it's it's not really yeah. not really a solution. Hey, is this understandable? Uh, I mean, um, you've been asking the government uh, to take a, a number of measures since the beginning of this crisis ten years ago. But I suppose we've been hearing that there's two real problems, or there has been two real problems that has led to this situation. One was the financial crash, and the other was COVID, which stopped building. Uh, do you understand those arguments? Are they acceptable to you? They are. I can understand that. Yes, that's uh, perfectly. Uh, that's perfectly true. However, the the governments uh, we have built almost thirty thousand houses last year. How many of those were social or affordable housing? which many of those who are going to be evicted are, are, are going to require. The government are way behind target on building uh, so new social or, or affordable housing, uh, and the pace of providing those is, is much too slow. So while those are factors that have made it more difficult to meet our housing uh, requirements, they're not, uh, they're not the only uh, factor. I think there's a, they're, they're not... They're not the they're not the excuse that government would like to explain why their building of social and affordable housing has been so uh, so low. Mm. Uh, and you believe, uh, like the opposition politicians are arguing, there will be a tsunami of evictions. Well, that's what in this four thousand seven hundred notices to quit. Presumably, almost all those landlords are going to follow through on that which means 4,700 households are going to lose their private rented accommodation over the next few months. And uh, I think for the vast majority of those, there will be nowhere for them to go. Whether it is avoidable or otherwise, or was avoidable or otherwise, uh, I guess is one thing, but it really is a shameful situation that we're in. Yeah, I think it's uh, we're here because of 15 or 20 years of neglect. Uh, you know, the government stopped building social housing. They wanted the private sector to provide housing for low-income families. As I've often said, in 1975, this country built 8,500 council houses. In 1985, we built 6,900 council houses. And in 2015, this country built 75 council houses. So there's a history there of of, of reneging on the building of social housing and transferring the responsibility onto the private rented sector and now the uh, the chickens are coming home to roost. Okay, we have to leave it there but thank you indeed as always for joining us on the programme Peter. Father Peter McVerry, housing advocate for you there. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, speaking of housing and indeed acquiring accommodation, very interesting front page of the Irish Independent today. The headline is Home Prices Up Again as Interest Rates Hikes Fail to Curtail Demand, with the paper reporting that the people who already own their homes are increasingly reluctant to sell or trade up on the property ladder. Uh, and uh, they say 
that uh, that prices were recently starting to fall because of the worsening supply, but because there's less property for sale for younger buyers, it's pushing prices back up again. And in fact, uh, they say that the current selling price of a three-bedroom semi-detached house across the country rose by 0.6% over the last quarter of last year to almost 300 thousand euro. It's an annual increase of 5.3%. As I say, that's the situation nationally. Let's uh, take a look at what's happening with house prices locally in counties Louth and Meath. We're joined by Gabriel O'Brien of REA O'Brien Collins Drogheda because uh, this is uh, the latest Real Estate Alliance Average House Price Index. Uh, And a very good morning to you, Gabriel, and thank you indeed uh, for coming in to us uh, this morning. Morning. Uh, it's a somewhat different situation, uh, I think, locally in County Louth, uh, where uh, prices haven't moved uh, upwards or downwards. They're static, in fact, uh, across the last quarter. They are. And good morning to you, Michael, and to your listeners. What we've seen in, in County Louth in the first quarter of 2023 is that three-bed semi prices have remained static at 260,000. So no increases in County Louth. And then just go, going over to next door in County Meath, a modest price increase of 0.4% on a typical three-bed property. So the average price in County Meath is higher than Louth, and that's coming in at just under 300,000 at 297,500. So what we've seen is prices are either increasing at very small uh, nominal amounts, or indeed in County Louth has flatlined for the first quarter of this year. And these are actual sale prices that the Real Estate Alliance records. Exactly. This isn't a a survey based on asking prices. It's a survey based on uh, actual sale prices agreed and our average sales time is around five to six weeks now Mm. from first going to market. That's very quick. It is very quick. And I think goes back into how you opened this uh, interview, Michael, which is there's a, a lack of supply, there's strong demand, But we are also seeing the effects of the interest rate increases uh, playing into how people are buying or thinking about buying. Mm. Uh, To what extent uh, are those interest rate increases impacting on the market itself? Sure. I think they're being um, they're being more considered in terms of whether they would buy now. I think the panic buying and that we saw maybe during um, as we come out of COVID or come out of COVID a few times and went back in that probably has gone and has left the market but we're definitely seeing people are being more considered, they're taking more time they're a bit fearful that there may be another interest rate increase Mm. coming up in, in May and I think they need to see that there's a bit of steadiness in the marketplace, the financial marketplace, that maybe the interest rate increases have come or are coming to an end. Right. Uh, And is that why people aren't moving home? Because there's a a lot of first-time buyers. Over 80% of uh, the house sales in Dublin were to first-time buyers. I think that figures around 60% locally. It is. It's about 60% locally. And I think that that 60% is probably going to increase First-time buyers are typically buying the the brand new home and the new home schemes uh, in the towns that, and for example, in Drogheda, there's a lot of new homes developments on the north side. They are buying their house. It's a A2 or A3 energy efficient home, and they're wrapping it up in a long mortgage that could be 30, 35 years. But where the new homes market is geared for first-time buyers, 
we probably see that the market for the people that want to trade up to a larger house or the people who want to trade down, mm-hmm. they're not being catered for. And if we had the trade, even the trade down market catered for, that would free up larger properties in the town and maybe out in the countryside mm-hmm. for people who want to, you know, sell a smaller house to trade up to those larger. Okay. But we've got a bit of a log jam there. Mm-hmm. And what about the prices? Uh, is there a difference uh, between new uh, homes and second-hand homes? Uh, mm. Substantial difference. Mm. Um, I mean, an average three-bed, let's say, second-hand, three-bed semi in County Louth, as we were saying earlier, is 260 mm. uh, An average price for a new three-bed semi in County Louth is probably around the 350 to 370 mark now. Right. So mm. there's a hundred grand of a difference there. What we're finding is so the, so the price gap between new homes and secondhand has widened right. and is continuing mm. to widen. I think that's also a function and factor, Michael, that the secondhand homes, maybe they need energy efficiency, refurbishment, renovation works. Very difficult to find a builder, if you can find mm. one, and very costly to do those works. And possibly down to first-time buyers as well, looking for new homes. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. Um, So the supply uh, is obviously very limited, which is why you're turning over properties so quickly. It is, it is. I mean, I, we are, we aren't seeing bidding frenzies on properties as such, but I think where a price where a second-hand home is put on the market at a reasonable asking price and a market-related price, we're seeing that you know within five or six weeks it is being it is being sold. We aren't seeing evidence now like we did in some of the last years where we're getting substantially in excess of the asking price. Mm. I think. I think hopefully our industry is a bit more measured and buyers are being a bit more measured out there in the market. Okay, you were in with us uh, many times uh, previously uh, uh, and over um, the COVID restrictions and people working from home, talking about how uh, attractive a town like Drogheda was to people. Has that changed at all? Uh, I see the Irish Independent today saying that the COVID rush has ended and there's a slowdown uh, in the number of people moving from Dublin to places outside of the capital. Yeah, I, I don't know about it. Maybe for a town like Drogheda, which is so close to and connected in, well connected into Dublin city uh, city centre and, you know, the M50 and the airport and what have you. I think Drogheda is still continuing to get those bars and people can buy a, a new three bed or four bed semi for a couple of hundred thousand less than they can in even in North County Dublin or North Dublin itself. Now that, Michael, is the difference between somebody being able to buy a home or not. And if you can work from, let's say, work from home for, say, mm-hmm. two to three days a week, then you're still very you're still very well connected into the city centre if you need to travel in there. Okay. People uh, uh, are obviously uh, quite astute. Are, are they right in the decisions they're making at the moment to hold off moving? If you have a property, is that the right thing to do, given the uncertainty? Yeah, no, there is a question, Michael. It's a very, that's a difficult mm. one to answer because I think, I think while, whilst we're talking still out there about maybe another interest rate increase or there could be another one, I'm not, I'm not so sure. I don't even think the financial markets know the answer to that. I think, look, it's always, I know this sounds a bit cliched, it's always a good time to buy, to buy, provided you've stress tested your own circumstances in that you can afford to mm. repay your mortgage. I don't see, you know, we're talking about prices slowing down. I do, there's no evidence out there in the marketplaces that prices are going to decrease. So again, it's down to buy, it's down to stress testing your own personal financial 
and mm-hmm. work circumstances. Okay, um, but do you expect prices to increase then, I suppose, is the next uh, question, because that's obviously a, another factor, and I think people were expecting prices to fall. There seemed to be uh, a reason for that, uh, but this comes as a bit of a, a shock today, that nationally at least, that the prices have increased by over 5% over the last year. Yes, I think I think 2023, if we're going to see price increases, they're going to be at the very modest end of the scale. You can see that in County Lyth, no no price increase this first quarter. Mm. Very modest one in County Meath. I think... A, a drop in prices actually in Ashburn in County Meath. Drop, yes, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. And sometimes mm. I, I think what's happened is that the market started catching up with itself. Some of those towns that increased in price in prices, you know, exponentially after COVID or whatever, maybe they've just, maybe they jumped a bit, bit too ahead. I think, I don't see, I say, rather I'll put it this way, I see prices probably increasing modestly. Hmm. I don't see them... I don't see them necessarily decreasing, but I, and I do think that the gap between new homes and secondhand may continue to widen a mm. little further. Okay, so the sooner you can buy, I, I suppose, uh, is uh, the advice of somebody who's looking for a, a new home, uh, and probably the same who for people who are worried about interest rates. Have you had experience of people worried about interest rates going up and needing to get a, a sale completed before they do? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, and that's that's a that's a a big bugbear out there in the new homes market at the morning um, at the moment. You could have difficulties in the building process, you know, whether it's ESB networks or Irish Water, it's a public utility problem where there's a house effectively, you know, ready ready for completion, but it's not because these these main major connections have to be mm. made. The clock is ticking on the buyer's mortgage. They had agreed to buy the house at a price that um, that was agreed. They thought the interest rate was going to be X. It turns out by the time the house is completed, it's maybe X plus 0.25 or X plus 0.5%. Mm. So that is a big um, big difficulty for yeah. new homes buyers out there and very frustrating for mm. them at the same yeah, time. I'm sure. And when Christine Lagarde gets to her feet and gives the bad news, uh, exactly. does that impact on the sale? Have sales fallen uh, because of the increase in no, rates? We, we haven't, um, to be honest, mm. uh, had experience of sales falling through. I mean, sometimes there's been a few wobbles, but I think generally once new homes, first-time buyers have committed to buying a new home scheme, they're going to continue to go ahead with that because the alternative for them is to is to pay very high rents mm. out there. Yeah. So that doesn't work. And uh, the, I take alter- it, the alternative <coughs> isn't good for them. Yeah, I take it because of the interest rates uh, that if you bought a year ago, uh, in comparison to buying now, the difference could be thousands. The difference could be thousands yeah. over a single year, mm. Michael. Yeah. Absolutely. That, that could be the difference. That could be maybe 150, 200 euro a month of extra mortgage. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of a lot money. Of money. Yeah. A lot for people to contemplate uh, following uh, the publication of your survey today. The uh, House Price Index from uh, the Real Estate Alliance is based on actual sales. So they're real prices. Real prices in, in today's real market. Okay. All right. Well, look, thank you indeed uh, for coming in to us. Uh, good to get uh, the perspective locally from uh, a local member of uh, the Real Estate Alliance, Gabriel O'Brien of REA O'Brien Collins in Drada. Thank you, as I say. Thank you, Michael. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now, the doll this week will be asked to vote in favour of legislation which would extend uh, the evictions ban. Uh, that bill will be brought forward by the Labour Party, or by, beg your pardon, by Sinn Féin. The Labour Party is expected to, to table a motion of no confidence in the government. That is unless uh, the government says it will extend the ban until such a time that there's a drop in the number of people who 
become homeless for four consecutive months. Let's speak to local Labour Party TD in Loudoun East Mead, Jed Nash, who's his party spokesperson on finance and public expenditure. A very good morning to you, Jed Nash, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme this morning after uh, the party conference at the weekend uh, and indeed the focus that there was at the weekend, particularly in your leader's speech, uh, Ivana Bakic, uh, talking about this motion of no confidence in a government that has presided over what she was describing as a catastrophic record on home on housing. That's right. I mean, the government holds many records. Some of their worst records are on, on housing. Uh, we've got uh, record uh, uh, rents, um, record levels of homelessness with almost 12,000 people homeless at the moment uh, and we've got record house prices and it's just interesting that I think the first two items on the programme Michael, were dominated by, by, by housing uh, I heard what Peter McFerry had to say earlier on uh, and uh, Gabriel O'Brien a uh, local auctioneer uh, who painted a picture of the local um, private housing market we need to look at all of this in the round and how different parts of the market interact with other parts and there's no doubt about it I mean that the there's going to be a catastrophic impact uh, come the end of this week when thousands of eviction notices that are hanging over people will be triggered. Uh, and we will see that between now and the middle of, of June. Um, we, we know that, and we acknowledge, and other opposition parties are, are the same, there can't ever be a permanent eviction ban in a functioning housing market, but this housing market and the housing sector isn't functioning at all. Mm. I mean, the big concern that we have is that the the six months of breathing space that government gave itself after they were dragged kicking and screaming by us into introducing the eviction ban in the first place hasn't been used to bring in any kind of mitigating measures for people who are at risk of homelessness. Um, the tenant and situ scheme, um, some listeners might be familiar with that. Uh, it's where local authorities can work with landlords to buy homes that would be uh, put uh, on the market if uh, somebody who's receiving you know, HAP and is on the housing list for a period of time is at risk of homelessness. Uh, that's working slowly around the country. Uh, it is a very effective tool that government hasn't really ramped up. Only seven properties over the last few months in Dublin City Council area, for example, were bought. So rather than bring a motion, uh, as other parties have done, we believe that this is so serious that what it requires is uh, this constitutional instrument that the opposition has to hold a government to account. And it's a binary decision that people who are, for example, in the regional independent group, uh, who backed the government last week, most of them, it's a decision they have to make. Are you happy with the eviction ban being ended, with thousands of people being put on the side of the street over the next period of time? Or will you back us and look at alternatives, the kind of alternatives that we provide and we try to be constructive, Michael. Yeah. You said it in your introduction. I mean, you know, we produced a bill last week. We wrote to the Taoiseach. hasn't responded to us yet. And said, look, you know, we understand this is a serious situation. We're trying to be constructive here. We're proposing that, for example, you introduce a situation whereby over a period of four months, if there was a demonstrable reduction in, in, in homelessness, that then, you know, on an evidential basis, you know, with evidence, you could say, look, things are improving. So we will slowly wind down the eviction ban because supply is being increased and there's maybe additional rights for, for renters, for security of tenure and so on. But they've chosen not to do that. So this is a role of advice by government and this is on them. Okay. Uh, there was a, a fairy tale promise made by your leader to build a million houses over a decade. That's 100,000 houses a year. That's not possible, is it? It would be a challenge, but I think we're at our best when we're being brave, uh, Michael. Um, and I think our history ha- has shown us that. And it, it, 
we're challenging government to, to do better. Uh, does it does a conservatism now that's strangling this country? I mean, we've got what we call a, a paradox of plenty. That's sort of contradiction where you know we've had a, an exchequer surplus mm. of five point three billion. Euros. But we had a record thirty thousand houses built last year, and the government would say that that was a, a result of its best effort. It, it, it's going to try and do more, but to go from that. Uh, level uh, to a hundred thousand, uh, it really is beyond belief. We're break, breaking that down. What 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 Ivana said um, in, in the more detailed background that she provided was that you know over a period of um, of ten years that we would have a million units. Um, half of those would be uh, retrofits. It would be vacant properties that would be brought back into use. Mm. Uh, properties that would be CPO'd by local authorities and actually allowed County Council have pioneered in this space and the rest the, the other the rest would be 50,000 new bills now, But I don't think anybody thinks that that's was, possible I mean they did it in Sweden uh, over yeah. 10 years which uh, is a country that gets things done in a way that uh, we can't even imagine in this country but it's also a much bigger country with a population of 8 million people yeah, well, actually, you know, our population is growing. See, this is the point as well. The population is not remaining static. Uh, the figures that government have been using in terms of housing targets are, are actually old figures and don't really pay much attention to the census that we had last year. Mm. Uh, this country is going to grow phenomenally over the next few years as well. And but even in Sweden, very, there was a lot of criticism over what was delivered. They delivered the million homes, uh, but uh, uh, there was concern about ghettoising uh, people from disadvantaged areas into uh, the flats uh, as we'd have known them here. Well, it's a point that we were making actually over the weekend as well, that it has to be about high standards and it has to be about design and sustainability as well. Building homes where people want to live, building homes close to community facilities and decent transport links. So looking at all of that in the round, that's the kind of ambition that we need to show. And actually nobody who's serious is actually denying that that's the scale of the challenge. I mean, the government's own housing commission would say that uh, new builds, we need about forty to 60,000 uh, a year. And the problem is that there's been an over-reliance from Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil, um, over the last few years in terms of, you know, looking for the private market to resolve the, the, the bulk of the problem. Uh, what we're saying is that what should be considered is, for example, the establishment of a state company, a special vehicle established by the state to actually corral all of the different interests, the planning interests, uh, developers, uh, the state's heft in terms of the resource that the state has to deal with a problem that mm. uh, is not just a social problem but an economic one as well. And manpower, you know, to get people Exactly. We've actually been going before the Shannon this, this week because in our discussions actually with construction companies uh, and with the trade unions, um, one of the really pointed problems that we have here is the supply of skilled labour. And there's a reason for that. Uh, and one of the predominant reasons is the low pay levels for the first two years of construction apprenticeships. Uh, you know, young apprentices are expected to live on poverty pay. We're saying this week, and we've been saying for a long time now, we actually have a bill before the Senate, yeah. that uh, no, no apprentice should be paid any less uh, in terms of an hourly rate than the adult rate of the national yeah, well, More apprentices would help, but that's all it would do. It wouldn't build a million houses. Uh, you need qualified builders uh, and yeah, a, a lot and, more and, besides. And, and what, and what, what that requires as well is, uh, I mean, the, the kind of ambition that government haven't shown. I, I mean, we, we need a kind of a... What, what, everybody knows the leadership that everybody showed around COVID, a real national international emergency. This is an emergency of that kind of proportion. And if we're ambitious for our economy and our society, we finally need to nail this. We can't have these peaks and troughs where over a period of years we're building no houses, then we're building lots of houses, then we're building no houses, mm. people become homeless, and, you know, nobody has uh, the capacity to house people who are coming here, you know, mm. for example, to work in our economy. It, it just doesn't function. But in the current climate, I'm sure you'll forgive me for saying it sounds like a fairy tale. Great if 
it came true, but it, it still sounds like a, a fairy tale to build a million homes uh, in 10 well, years. Uh, another uh, well, policy that was announced over the weekend uh, had a similar uh, ring to it, uh, and that was the Swedish model, is a German model of transport, and the Vannebackage suggests we could do it here, €9 Euro a month to travel, uh, unlimited uh, bus and rail travel, that is. That's right, and we've spoken to our colleagues, uh, our, our Socialist Party, Social Democratic Party colleagues in Germany about this, and this is eminently doable over a period of time, and that's the kind of scale of ambition we need to get people out of their cars, uh, people, if they had alternatives that were affordable uh, at scale, then I think people would, would, would use those public transport alternatives. There's a, a climate demand for it, but there's an economic demand and affordability demand uh, as well. Mm. The problem here is, I think, Michael, we're conditioned... Uh, to expect very little from government. We're conditioned to expect the bare minimum because we've had this kind of permanent Fall, uh, um, uh, uh, operation uh, running governments in this country since the foundation of our state. We have the resources to really think big now. We often didn't have those resources and I think it's incumbent on parties like the Labour Party, parties of constructive social change who demonstrated that we can introduce change, you know, if we're brave and courageous enough to do it, to do the big thinking because government certainly isn't doing it. Okay, we have to leave it there. We're out of time. Thank you for your time. Thanks for joining us on the programme today. That's uh, the Labour Party spokesperson on finance, Jed Nash, who's a TD for Loud and East Meath. Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, attacks on people by dogs along with uh, the ongoing problem of worrying and uh, destroying sheep may lead to new dog control measures being introduced in uh, the coming months. It's obviously a really important issue. There's been a number of really distressing incidents over the last um, two or three months in particular. It's uh, an issue the government takes very seriously. Both Minister Humphreys and myself um, are the two departments that have uh, responsibility for overseeing uh, the issue of dog control. Um, we established a working group which has now completed its report. We'll shortly be bringing proposals to Cabinet around that and indeed further legislation as well, which will cover enforcement, will uncover fines um, and will uh, better bring together um, the, the, uh, the oversight of the issue. Um, we want to ensure that people that have dogs take full responsibility for their ownership and that, that uh, particularly in the case of farmers or indeed people uh, going about their normal life, that they are safe uh, uh, and if somebody doesn't take the responsibility seriously, that there is really strong uh, penalties in place for that. Thank so you. it's something the government will Thank be expediting. Minister. Right, that's the Minister for Agriculture. That working group uh, will report and make its recommendations uh, to government in uh, the coming weeks. But as it stands, uh, there are already a, a lot of laws in place and dog owners have a, a lot of responsibility. Uh, but uh, as we know sometimes uh, it just doesn't work that way. If you were in North Louth and around the Cooley Mountains over the bank holiday weekend uh, you may have come across the dog warden unit with Louth County Council uh, and indeed on Garda Siakana uh, as both uh, bodies uh, were in the area reminding dog owners of their responsibility. Let's speak uh, to the Louth County veterinarian, Garrett Shine, who's on uh, the line. And a very good morning to you, Garrett, and thanks uh, for joining us on uh, the programme. Uh, tell us uh, uh, about uh, your experience. This was on the 19th of March, a uh, uh, Sunday, uh, and you were out meeting with people and talking to them about the responsibilities uh, that they have. How did that go down? It was a very useful exercise, Michael. It was basically, as you say, it was an awareness raising exercise that the dog wardens with uh, our colleagues in Angarda Shikona 
we went to all of the main spots, main entry spots to the Cooley Mountains, and we kind of talked to people that were entering the commonage with their dogs. Because there's been a, a real problem there for years, uh, as farmers will testify. That's correct, yeah. Um, so um, obviously we're in well into lambing season at the moment, but um, dogs potentially can cause serious problems to sheep. Uh, as well as other other wildlife, it's not just sheep. Mm. So um, we were just basically reminding people of two things. One, that their dog was always under very good controls. We like to see them on a lead at all times. And we're also checking dogs for microchips as well. So we had the scanner with us and we were actually checking all those dogs we encountered with the with the scanner to check that they were also had, were chipped. Almost full compliance in that sense. Um, it was surprisingly good. Um, every dog was on a lead and all were microchipped bar one. So, um, and, and uh, we did come across one um, unaccompanied dog which was seized on the day. Okay. Uh, and what happened to the dog? Which one's the the, the, the one that was seized? Uh, the one that was seized was interesting. Um, it was microchipped. Um, but here's a common problem. When we got back to the pound and ran the microchip number, it turned up a previous owner, like somebody who had owned that dog four years ago. So, um you know, that didn't throw up the current owner. Um, now, it was at the pound, and I believe several days later, an owner did turn up to, to reclaim the dog. Okay. Uh, and is there a penalty uh, for the oh, dog? Yeah. Ha- having? No, there would be pound fees and reclaim fees, absolutely. And then, obviously, the person would also have to regularise the microchip, so we would have, you know, got them to bring that microchip details up to date on the database, so it does show now the current owner. Okay, but because the dog was unaccompanied, is there a sanction for that? Uh, is there a fine of any sort? There is, yeah. No, if the dog is out unaccompanied, it, it, it incurs a fixed penalty notice of €100. Euro. Okay. All right, so a costly experience uh, and one uh, that may impact. Uh, but uh, unusual, uh, is it not, uh, to be finding dog owners? Um, it's not unusual. I mean, if the dog wardens... When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Come across a breach of the of the, the control legislation, they will issue fines. Mm. Um, so it's it, no, it wouldn't be unusual for our wardens to find so to issue fixed penalty notices, but they're quite active in, in that respect. Okay, uh, uh, have you a uh, number of dogs? Uh, can you tell us how, how many uh, people you spoke to? You said everybody had their dog on a lead, uh, which uh, I think is very, very interesting. They all yeah. had the lead mm. now. Having said that, um, you know, they had them on the lead entering the commonage. 
Um, I think probably most people will have their dog on, on the lead sort of when they get out of the car and going on the, onto the commented mountain. But unfortunately, I think some people um, may let them off the lead once they're up high up in the mountains, which is, you know, very mm. irresponsible thing to do. So just because they were all on a lead entering doesn't always mean that they're going to remain on the lead. Mm. And I, I take it the dog owners don't believe or don't understand that they're doing something wrong. Uh, the vast majority do. It's like everything else. It's oh. just the odd person that uh, doesn't understand and feels a need to give their dog a good run. Um, but it's just it's just a very very dangerous thing to do because mm. you don't know what sort of damage they can do. Okay, and I, I take it uh, that's all it takes. It only takes one dog to uh, create a, a lot of damage, uh, and we hear from the that's farmers problem, all of the time appealing to people to keep like their dogs every on Every dog leads. owner is, is like that, and it's not. It's 99.9% are going to be responsible. But as you say, it just takes one single dog, and it can take out a flock of sheep. Okay. Um, what about uh, these new regulations? Uh, would you be hoping uh, for there to be stricter controls uh, put in place? Yeah, um, this is a very solid committee that's been working weekly, and um, I'm absolutely convinced this committee that this is not going to be just a talking shop. There, there, there are going to be actions coming from this. They are reporting to government, and there is a very good appetite to increase the the powers of the dog warden and maybe fines as well. So it's been looked at very seriously. Mm, well, and understandably so, uh, because yeah. of uh, the damage that can be done, not just to sheep, but to people uh, as well. Uh, and we heard the former Taoiseach, Michal Martin, talk about the dangerous breeds. And wondering, is there a reason for anybody to have one of these breeds as a pet, is it appropriate to have them as pets? Uh, and uh, there was a clear uh, implication uh, that uh, it may be considered appropriate to ban these dogs altogether. Yeah, it's probably... What, what we have is the restricted breeds, is what we call them, and we have a list of dogs that are in the restricted breed list. list. And I think the proposals are possibly to add some breeds to that list. I not quite sure there's a we're going to ban dogs it's a very difficult thing to ban a breed but um we could add to the list of the restricted breeds and they are the ones that carry extra sort of responsibilities those sort of breeds have to be muzzled and on a lead at all times when they're out in public mm. well all dogs have to be on a lead don't they no, no. Do- all dogs have to be under effectual control that's the current legislation so doesn't necessarily mean they have to be on a lead, but they have to be under strict control. So it's as maybe a subjective thing, but if a dog is very much, if it's not on a lead, it's going to be difficult for someone to prove that they're completely under control. Mm. Do, you, do you understand why uh, people would want these restricted breeds, dangerous breeds, as pets? Um, look, it, it, the, the situation is... Any dog is liable to bite a person, so people do get bitten by dogs from time to time. The problem is if you're bitten by a Jack Russell, it's probably a nip on your ankle. Mm. If you're bitten by something like a pit bull terrier with a very powerful jaw, its bite's going to inflict, you know, 100 times yeah. more damage. But so is, a pit bull bar, is a pit bull terrier not more likely uh, to uh, attack people given uh, that they were bred for blood sports? Um, well, you can get some very nice ones. We've had some through the pound here and they've been really gentle dogs so it's like everything else it's how they're brought up um, but I do understand that when one of them does go a little bit rogue it is it can inflict an awful lot more damage than 
Mm. standard little toy breed or something like that. I'm sure like all of us uh, you were appalled at that story from uh, County Wicklow when uh, farmer Pat Dunn was uh, assaulted uh, yep. by a, a walker who insisted mm. on taking his uh, dogs uh, on that trail uh, in County Wicklow and I, I suppose uh, it's an indication of how there's strong feelings on both sides of this there's a lot of dog owners who, who don't understand the regulations yeah, look, there are some dog owners who just literally don't understand or maybe don't even want to understand them. I and there are selfish people out there who just see their dog and they want to give their dog free rein and let it run and roam and do what it likes. And uh, it just there is a compromise. I mean, we all like dogs, but we, we like farm animals, we like nature, and we all have to work together in this one. Okay. We leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed for joining us on the programme today, Thank Garrett. You. Thank you. Garrett Shine, Loud County Veterinarian. Michael Reed on LMFM. We can't tell you why Airgrid uh, doesn't want to speak uh, to us about the North South Interconnector. We can just tell you that they won't speak to us about the North South Interconnector. On Tuesday of last week, uh, the government announced it's time to get on with it and construct the project, which will be completed by 2026 with the pylons overground as has been planned for the last 15 years if Airgrid uh, changes its position and decides it wants to talk to you through this programme uh, we'd certainly be happy to facilitate that but it doesn't look like that's going to happen any day soon for whatever the reason is. Uh, but let's uh, discuss uh, the project as planned uh, and now about to go ahead as announced by the government uh, with Finnefall Senator Shane Castle and Sinn Féin TD for me, the star in O'Rourke. Good morning to both of you and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. Shane Castles, we heard you speaking uh, in the Shannon last week uh, about this and you appear to be blaming the Green Party on this decision. Yeah, good morning, uh, Michael. And it is <clears throat> regretful that Airgrid uh, won't, won't come on, on your show uh, they attended a briefing last Tuesday, literally just before the, the report was going to be published, and uh, they talked about good public engagement, as they have done for 15 years, 15 years of botched public engagement. And I actually specifically said I look wa- forward to uh, hearing them on the Michael Reed show. So maybe I spooked them, and that's why they're not coming on. Um, in, in terms of, of, of this, I suppose the, the report um, you know, accepts a number of things. Um, at the very least, it accepts that partial undergrounding is possible. It talks about a redesign of the intrusive towers and being less visually intrusive. So in the 15 years that we've been debating this in your show and in the chambers, uh, they've moved from a position like the DUP of never, 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 ever to, to someday, maybe, maybe, and maybe yes, we can do it. So they've moved from never to maybe to yes. Uh, and have been at least talking about underground. So if we accept that all of these issues demonstrate that the mm. original concept is not fit for purpose, which Heather Humphreys, by the way, as a cabinet minister stated yesterday, if people accept that, then this report uh, okay. that has been published shows that things have to change. I'd like to go back to my question, if I may, which was that you mm. appeared to be blaming the Green Party on this decision. And the reason I was asking you that absolutely. is... Absolutely. is absolutely. But the reason I'm asking there. you, regardless of, of who is responsible or who you think is responsible, it's a decision that has been accepted by the government. The government, which is made up of three parties, including Fianna Fáil, says it cannot be undergrounded. They accepted the, the report, uh, another report on top of all the other reports uh, that have been published. Michael but the official FINA fall position is it cannot be undergrounded and it's time to enter the construction phase. 
No, well, if they accept the report, Michael, that shows that the report says that at least some of it can be undergrounded, which goes to the point of why I've called now for an the emergency gov- the gov- But the government press release on behalf of the three parties, invo- including Fianna Fáil, says it cannot be undergrounded and it's time to enter the construction phase. They're wrong. They're wrong. They're absolutely wrong. And the, and the pig-headedness, and by the way, I'll give Eamon Ryan this, he was consistent because in opposition, it's he was Fáil's position. that it should go as well. But that's know? Fianna Fáil's position. No, they're wrong as well. So we're making that point clearly to my own party as well, that they're wrong. And that if they read their own report, the report clearly shows that at, at the very least, at the very least, partial undergrounding is spoken about in the report. So if they read the report, they have to accept what's in it. So people are wrong if they say... Um, or obviously they're not reading it right. Okay, Darren O'Rourke, uh, Shane Castle's not happy with Fianna Fáil. Uh, I, I'm sure uh, you're less happy. No, I, absolutely, and, and I, I think, look, to be to be very clear in relation to it, we, we do need to hear from, from Fianna Fáil, um, not just nationally, but in County Mead, there seems to be differences of opinions there in terms of... Well, I'm on the show, Darren, I'm here on the show debating, yeah. I have no problem, I'm here debating yeah. with you. And Thomas, no, no, Bur- and Thomas and Byrne will be on the show tomorrow, and Thomas Byrne uh, is accepting the situation, which he says he's personally disappointed with, but uh, be that as it may, the government has made its decision. Yeah, so, 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 so I think we need clarity and, and, and to, to bear in mind that Fianna Fáil brought a, a motion forward in 2017 that called for a full independent review, cost-benefit analysis, comparison between overground and underground, and that we have never had. They said at that time that they were deliberate in government, and we, we have yet to see that. I have to say, and just to be very clear, I think there's a number of important points here, Michael, if, if I can make them. First of all, I think the government are, and the Department of Environment, Climate and Communications are misrepresenting this report. They said very clearly in their statement um, that the report concludes that the interconnector cannot be undergrounded because it will not provide reliable, reliability and stability that is required. It does not conclude that. I've read it from, from cover to cover. Um, repeatedly, I see from the authors of this report, and I've been critical of the report because of the, the terms of reference um, uh, and, and that sort of mm. thing. But they, say a, a, without, they say that a, a, a HVDC underground cable would not give reliability and stability, but they go further and say that the savings and benefits to consumers no. would be substantially less. They say that in the, they say that in the press in, in the the press statement. That's not in the report. That's not in the report. So what what they say, and, and these are the takeaways I'm taking from this limited report. One, they say a VSC HVDC is an alternative here for fully undergrounding this uh, this this interconnector. Two, they point time and again on page 18, page 22, page 24 of the failings of successive cost-benefit analyses that have been done comparing overgrounding versus, versus undergrounding. So they say, instead of the tool that AirGrid have used repeatedly, they should be looking at reliability and availability, they should be looking at system generation and dispatch costs, renewable over-generation costs, carbon dioxide emission costs. They point to the fact that the delay in this project has not been accounted for. So I, for me, and I, as I say, I've been critical of this report, for me, it flags up the absolute need for the type of comparative analysis that we have consistently called for in Sinn Féin mm-hmm. and that, in opposition, Fianna Fáil committed to. 
But that's that's what we need to see here. And the door is still open there okay. um, to, to deliver that. Shane Castle, you don't disagree with any of that, do you? No, and I've just been saying those yeah. very points myself, mm. uh, Michael, in that. But the report, if we read the report, which has been commissioned and now published, is that the report itself talks about the fact um, that the um, operational experience does exist uh, in examples across Europe, that it is a credible option. So, and I said this directly to the department officials uh, last Tuesday evening, uh, you needn't think you're going to hoodwink uh, people, you needn't think you're going to hoodwink the public, and by the way, Agrid were there as well. So if they accept the findings in their own report, there is enough scope there by these authors for the credibility to go back and look at this again. And I'm going to be saying that directly to Eamon Ryan when we get him into the chamber, that if he has read his own report that he has commissioned, well, then he has to accept what the author has said as well. And so I think, actually, the report gives us the ammunition to go back uh, and look at this in a really uh, analytical way again. Are you surprised uh, that Thomas Byrne has accepted the government's decision? Well, I'll leave that for Thomas to debate with you uh, tomorrow, but I I will be asking Thomas, my own party leader, and indeed all of our uh, ministerial colleagues uh, to make sure that if we're accepting the report, well, then we accept exactly what it says, that there are credible options still on the table. And I think if we've paid good taxpayers' money for a report into this area, and I'm sure the representatives from Cavan and Monaghan uh, will also be looking for this, that we actually accept what they're saying, that there's credible options. Now, by the way, here's another crucial point, because the report consistently in trying to knock back the underground option keeps speaking to the cost. The cost would be too prohibitive. Well, when the very issue of cost was discussed and asked by me to the department officials last Tuesday before they published this, what would the cost now be for the overground option? They couldn't tell me. They couldn't tell me because they talked about it would only become clearer and crystallised when final procurement costs uh, were done. So they don't have a cost already for themselves for the overground option, which, by the way, could be a whole lot dearer because of the cost of steel. Mm. Uh, If I can can come Mm. in. um, So so all of that raises the the question of why have we never had that uh, comparative analysis done? I have to say it raises the question why um, a Fianna Fáil TD for County Mead accepted this this report and why government, in my opinion, are spinning it in a a certain way. But it very clearly raises that, for me, as I said... um, that that VSC HVDC is an option here. That's the, the, the points that are raised repeatedly by Airgrid, that you can't have a, a, a DC-embedded application in AC grid. You can definitely do that. And then to, to, to the point of the cost-benefit analysis, we don't have a cost-benefit analysis. That's the point here. Mm. So, so they can say... Well, the upfront costs for investing in, in uh, uh, the undergrounding is more expensive to a factor of, of whatever they will say. But what, the, what the, the authors of this report are saying, you need to take in the full life cycle, over 60 years where this infrastructure will be, will be in, in place. So, for example, they point towards losses. So the, mm. the, 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 the electricity that's been lost through the air as it runs through overhead ca- cables compared to undergrounding insulated cables, the losses are far, far less 
on the undergrounding HVDC line than they are on the overhead line. So what they are saying clearly in this report is we need a a cost-benefit analysis that takes in all of those operational costs, not just the initial investment. Well, you might you might think that, but your arguments are, are, are falling on deaf ears. Uh, the government has said it's going ahead over ground and our grid has issued a, a statement saying it's uh, about to proceed. Uh, but this would really leave people disillusioned in, in politics. I mean, we Fergus O'Dowd, Finnegale TD, on the programme last week saying he disagreed with ending the eviction ban, but he voted to end the eviction ban. Nasser Hurricane uh, is probably uh, somebody who he was looking at and the consequence for her voting in line with her conscience. Uh, she's out in the cold for at least 15 months. It seems uh, that Thomas Byrne is uh, opposed to this decision, but the minister uh, is going to accept it. Uh, and at this stage, Shane Castles, it would look like the only way of stopping this project from proceeding over ground is to have a general election and have somebody else make these decisions. Uh, well, just a couple of things, Michael. I'm not certainly spinning anything. I'm calling it as it is here uh, this morning and always have done in this issue and any other issue that is, is, is contentious in my constituency. And when we speak about you know public engagement, um, and Ergrid came out last week uh, at these meetings and said they would have good public engagement. Well, look at their track record over the last 15 years. Look at their silence in the last seven days, not even coming on this show to discuss it. Uh, they have had a botched effort of dealing with the public. They have spent literally millions on fancy PR with roadshows around uh, the counties of Meath and Cavan and Monaghan, yet they have failed consistently. And when the department officials actually said last week, we'll have this built by 2026, I laughed. I said, are you guys for real? Are you for real? You've had 15 years. I was sitting in the county council chamber as a councillor back in 2007 when these guys originally rocked in and announced their plans and talked about uh, really good, vigorous public engagement. The following week, I picked up the Mead Chronicle to find their advert for this vigorous public engagement. I found it in the death notices, the size of a postage stamp. How ironic was that? So I have no faith in either Airgrid or indeed the department who just do not know the reality of the ground. Mm. And do you I, have faith I in the government? Them, of course I have faith in my own government. Who accept the uh, report and say it's time to go to constru- construction. And so once again, if they're saying they accept the report, well then they better make sure they read the totality of it, which talks about the possibilities of undergrounding. The point I'm going to be making but they, right but, here is my own party leader and to the minister as well. But you, you, no you feel they haven't read it uh, uh, and that they're making the wrong decision? Do you really have faith in them? Michael, there's no way this is going to construction inside the next three years. Not a hope. And you know that, and Darren knows that, and I know that, and the public know that, because they're not going to get the acceptance of the public in that respect. I listened to Paul O'Reilly on your show last week. The man has consistently, both himself and Amy Tracy, pointed out the factual inaccuracies of their planning application. While they have planning for the actual structures, they don't have the correct way leaves to access people's land. Are they going to drop it in by airplane into the fields? So they, Ergrid should be on this show debating that very core issue of how in God's name they're going to get into the fields if they don't have the access route. Mm. There's the key flaw in itself. Okay. Do you think that they'll get into the fields uh, just to conclude, Darren O'Rourke? Well, time will tell. I, I would have to say I, I don't at, at this point in time, but, but uh, time will tell in relation. I think the, the more important thing and... and 
you know, we've had it from Fianna Fáil in opposition. Mm. We need to see it from them in, in government. Do you think people will be arrested so that they can get into the fields? No, well, well, look, I think there's, you know, there's, there's, there's huge community opposition in, in relation to that. I think, you know, it may very well be tested. I think it would be far better if the government took a collective approach to deliver on the type of cost-benefit analysis comparison that has been called for for year after year instead of essentially sticking the finger in the eye of, of, of communities right along this, this route. And I, I, I find it completely incredible that the government isn't speaking with, with, with one voice in relation to this, not only at a, a national level, but also at a lo- local level. I find it absolutely incredible that uh, a Fianna Fáil TD for County Mead would come out, uh, in my opinion, hasn't read the report uh, because the, the, the suggestion that you should just uh, carry on and that, that it confirms that overgrounding is the only option isn't there, isn't borne out in the report if if, uh, if people take the... the OK, well, we'll hear from Minister Byrne on the programme uh, tomorrow and we'll put those points to him, but we'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you both for joining us on the programme today. Sinn Féin TD for me, the star and work together with Fianna Fáil Senator Shane Castles. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, uh, a couple of weeks ago, the Global Report on Cocaine 23 report from the United Nations Office on uh, Drugs and Crime, or UNDOC, uh, was published. It uh, reports uh, that Ireland has the fourth highest usage in the world of cocaine. Uh, that's after US and Austria, uh, or it has the same level, rather, of uh, uh, cocaine usage as the United States and Austria, or after Australia, the Netherlands and Spain. Let's uh, speak uh, to local councillor P.O. Smith of the Labour Party, who also works as uh, a drugs drugs councillor with uh, the Red Door. A very good morning to you, and thanks uh, for coming to us uh, this morning. Uh, cocaine is a, a dangerous substance, is it? Yes, cocaine is a wholly dangerous substance and not many people realise the effects that cocaine have on the body and the mind. So uh, in your body, and I, mean, I talk about your brain and your physical physical body as well, it actually puts an awful lot of pressure on the, the capillaries of, of the body where the blood travels through. Mm. And when you come off it then, uh, the capillaries start to decrease in size and then they expand in size and then you often get people having heart attacks or bleeds and that type of stuff and young yeah. people in particular because in the last 12, 12 months some of the stats coming out have highlighted a significant number of young people reporting to A&E with uh, heart complaints and uh, minor strokes in regards mm. to the use of cocaine. Mm. So when you say bleeds, you mean strokes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah. That's as serious as it gets. As oh, well. it is. It's very, yeah, very serious. Yeah. But people know that, don't they? Well, I think people somewhat know it, uh, but I also think that we're always biased in ourselves because we feel good and we often think that it won't happen to me, you know, and then it does. Mm. But even the long-term effects of using cocaine can leave you with, uh, <clears throat> you know, adverse phys- physical effects for the rest of your life in terms of your heart and, and other organs in the body as well. <clears throat> and if you look at the average person who starts cocaine today and they say, oh, sorry, starts it today and then finishes it, you're looking at a 13 year on average use period. You know, so what happens then is that when people eventually give it up, they start worrying then about the possible damage that's done to their own mm. health. Mm. So they're getting a double whammy. They're getting the whammy of <coughs> the use of cocaine and addiction, but plus then the added worry as they age then in regards to what possible uh, effects it has had on their health. Right. Uh, so it may not kill you today, but 13 years later, when you decide to stop using cocaine, uh, there may be problems. Are, yeah. are they right to be worried about it at that oh, stage or have they got away with it? 
I, I think they're, they're right. Of course, look, there will mm. be people who get away with it, right? Uh, but there is a significant number of people who won't get away with it. And mm. that's just the reality of it. And, you know, as well as that, you're looking at the social damage it's causing in the society in which we live and you're looking at the damage it's causing the families uh, as well. So, like, there are multiple avenues in which it has negative effects on, on everyone. Mm. So nobody really gets away scot-free. Nice. Mm. And cocaine has been at the heart of uh, the drugs <coughs> feud, the, the feud between the drugs gangs in Drogheda, hasn't it? Oh, well, cocaine has. I mm. mean, if you look back, it, I know that you're talking about the UN report that came mm. out there re- recently, but the Health Research Board do reports on a regular basis. Mm. They do it on trends. See? Yeah. The mm. last one that came out was from 2015 to 2021. Mm. And what they discovered was that the there was a significant increase in cocaine use. So mm. people who reported for to addiction centres in 2021 was 11,000 people. 3,500 of those people were cocaine users. Mm. And in 2015... 14% of people said they were looking for treatment for cocaine. But in 2021, that jumped to 38%. Mm. And I'd say even in Drogheda now at the minute that there are more cocaine users now, significantly more cocaine users now than there, were, than there are people using heroin and other type of opiates. Nice, that yeah. has just mm. flipped. A 171% increase in the number of young people being treated nationally. And the potency of the drug is far stronger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it got cheaper, and so it's more pure. And when it's more pure, you get a better high hit out of it, and mm. then it kind of hooks you quicker. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> are, are all cocaine u- users addicted? No. Mm. There are some people who can go and use cocaine, and they can just leave it there <coughs> and, and, and drop it and, and move on. You know, mm. there are other people then who use it, and for a variety of different reasons, genetic reasons, family reasons, uh psychological reasons they will become addicted to it you know and uh, <clears throat> it then poses mm. a significant problem for all but of us. What's the attraction of cocaine? Why do people like it? Uh, I mean um, is it better than going for a drink? Well, I often think of the story of the mm. Garden of Eden once you buy the apple you, <laughs> you know you get a view mm-hmm. of what, what's out there <clears throat> and uh, when you take cocaine your whole experience changes so the trend at the minute among a lot of young people is and not even young there's two two emerging trends at the moment uh one is among certain age groups, say between the 20 and 34 age group, where they won't go out now unless there is coke and alcohol. Mm. And so when you're drinking alcohol, uh, initially you're feeling nice and grand, relaxed, that, that type of stuff. Then you can get a bit uh, of excitement into you and then, you know, you start to get tired. So you start taking cocaine. Now you come alive. Mm. And you get a real burst of energy and a real burst a sense of confidence about yourself as well. And you can drink more. Mm. So you're compounding the negative effects on, on, on your health. And it's this drugs. poly drug use, they call it, where you're taking more than one drug. Uh, and often alcohol. I mean, it's unusual, is it not, for people to be taking cocaine and not drinking. Uh, going back to that question, uh, I put you, why not just go for a drink? Mm. Uh, because they will anyway and take cocaine and possibly take another substance, maybe uh, smoke uh, some cannabis or take an E or something like that? Yeah, well, again, the, the Health Research Board did a re, uh, study on polydrug use. So in 2015, it was reported by people that they, 24% of people were saying that they take uh, cocaine and alcohol. But in 2021, that had jumped to 38% of people who were saying they take cocaine and alcohol. So you can see the increase in trend mm. there. <clears throat> and, <clears throat> you know, you get away with it for a while and then it will, it will come a time when... You, you will get a hit and uh, it will be very negative for your health and very negative for people around you. you know? Okay. And um, why do people want to get so off it? 
is there uh, a problem with the psychology of uh, the nation or uh, are, are young people um, depressed or struggling in the world, all this cyberbullying? Or what, what's the reason for it? Well, I, look, uh, since the beginning of time, human beings have used various types of substances to kind of get out of their head. That's just the reality of it. And we're no different in the 24th century. Uh, why people become addicted to it then is because, you know, some people can be born with a genetic propensity to addiction. And, of course, that doesn't mean that they're predisposed to it. It just means that it could happen if the environment was right. And then, you know, you have people who have psychiatric conditions who start using it. And then you have people who have kind of transient psychological conditions who start using it. <clears throat> and it's the actual change in the, the way you feel mm. and the way you think and, and the energy that comes with it. And it's very significant. And what you don't realize you're doing is that you're actually changing the structure of your brain. So the next time you're out, your brain will remind you that <clears throat> the last time you're out, you, you took cocaine when you were getting tired drinking alcohol and then you look for cocaine. Mm. Repeat mm. that over and over again. Then it just becomes habitual. Mm-hmm. and it becomes automatic and then and you may not need to look for it it may just be there no your, mm. your brain will mm. just tell you no here. but I mean oh, yeah. it's the people you're with have it anyway yeah, exactly mm. exactly you know and uh, you know you have young people the average age of cocaine use now is around 15 or 16 you know so you've got people in secondary school now who are going to be using cocaine uh, so you know I often say to people <clears throat> think about your children and your grandchildren mm. You may like to think that it will never happen to them, and please God, it doesn't happen to them. But they are going to come into co- into contact with it at mm. some stage in the next couple of in the next year or so, and that's the reality of it. So having a that's a given, is it? That's a given, yeah. Right. <clears throat> and, okay. and, yeah. and other city, towns and cities. Well, you're not going to tell a 15 year old uh, don't take that tonight and have the best of crack uh, because you might have a, a heart attack when you're 50. No, because again, you see, nobody chooses addiction and all that goes with it. It's Right here and now, at this point in time, when somebody puts something in front of me. So if I'm with a group of friends and I kind of, our so-called friends, and I kind of feel a little bit left out, well, then I may be under a little bit of pressure to take something. Mm. And then when I take that something, it's going to really transform the way I feel. And then all of a sudden, I don't feel on the outside, I feel on the inside. Mm. So when I get those two things combined together, the probability is that the next time I'm in a similar situation, I'm going to do the same thing again. Mm. And if you're that high, though, um, do you have to crash? Uh, Is there a big low afterwards? If you can imagine a seesaw where on one side you've got pleasure, on the other side you've got pain. So when you take cocaine, you get pleasure. But the next day, you're going to get a, a drop and you're going to get the pain and the low. Mm. The more you keep using cocaine, the pleasure gets decreased and the pain gets increased. Mm. So you keep chasing the first time you got that high mm. and it never comes back. And is that one of the reasons that people end up uh, addicted? Because the morning after cure may be to take more cocaine. Yeah, and, and uh, cocaine use can go from habitual to compulsive, you know, so like I've known people to be taking cocaine on the hour every hour. Yeah. And again, trying to not being able to sit with that feeling that you see your body's always trying to go back into balance. So mm. you have no say in what your body's going to do. Like alcohol, when you know when you get the DTs or you get withdrawal or you get uh, a hangover, your body's trying to correct itself. Right. Similarly mm. with cocaine. Mm. And can people function normally if uh, they're using cocaine at that level? Not at not at the compulsive level. No. Right. Okay. Uh, even at the habitual level, I'd say no. Uh, there are occasional cocaine users, and I mean, if you look at the HRB report, mm. uh, one of the interesting facts was that of the people who reported for cocaine addiction treatment. 36% were employed, you know, so, and that's 
just for people who reported for treatment. Mm. So you can imagine the numbers of people who are employed who mm. are not reporting for treatment. Yeah. Uh, Very significant. Mm. Who, who may not even need treatment. Yeah, possibly mm. don't even need treatment. Yeah, mm. possibly don't. Yeah. You know. I think there's probably a lot of people who uh, take <clears throat> it every few months or maybe once a year, that sort of thing, if it comes up. Yeah, it, it could be like that. I mean, there was an interesting study done in American uh, servicemen in Vietnam where a significant number of them were using heroin just to get through that 13 month tour of duty. Nice. Uh, now, they would have been defined as being addicted. Mm. So when they came home to America, only 10% of them reported to addiction centres for uh, for treatment. Right. The rest of them mm. just stopped using because their environment had completely changed. Mm. Mm. You know, So we got to look at the environment in which we live in, mm. the people that we hang around with. That's why I often say to... to to families, look at your children, particularly in fifth and sixth class, and then fourth and second year. Who are mm. they hanging around with? What's going on for them? Have conversations around drug use now because it's so common. Mm. So don't be afraid to have that conversation, but don't actually ram stuff down kids' throat either. You know, have a kind of a conversation, see where they are coming from, see what their understanding is, and let them know that uh, they shouldn't be in any way afraid to come and say to you listen mum or dad I tried something mm. and then have that conversation okay right yeah it's a, a hard ask I think mm. uh, but necessary yeah. because of the world we're living in Correct. thank you indeed Pio for coming into us uh, this morning that's Labour Party councillor Pio Smith who's also a drugs counsellor with uh, the Red Door Project Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM now more on housing and indeed uh, the lack of supply how do you increase uh, the supply of housing well I suppose uh, <laughs> face value it's a very easy question to answer you build more homes how do you do that well it costs money of course Uh, developers and those in the construction industry may be interested to know that government funding is available through home building finance ireland uh, which was established in 2018 as part of the government's wider response to ireland's housing supply shortage it operates as a private company and is owned by the Minister for Finance and has a meeting with uh, people in uh, the industry tomorrow morning at uh, the Glenside Hotel in Dublin if you're interested and are looking for finance this could be something for you David O'Doherty of Home Building Finance Ireland is on the line and a very good morning to you David uh, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme today you're specifically reaching out to people in County Louth and County Meath this week Yes, we are indeed. Uh, we have a meeting tomorrow morning at the Glenside Hotel in Drata, um, where we're looking to connect with the local uh, building and development community. Uh, we run a number of these events around the country in regional locations with the specific aim of uh, trying to identify new uh, uh, lending opportunities to, to fund the construction of new housing um, estates uh, around the country. Okay, it's a, a scheme uh, or system uh, of making finance available through yourselves that has worked quite well. Over a billion euro has been provided in funding so far. It has indeed, yes. It's, it's one and a quarter billion of loans we've approved uh, throughout the country, uh, which would support uh, the construction of over 5,700 homes. Um, we, we will fund any scheme of uh, five units or more uh, that's viable and, and meets our lending criteria. Um, so, as I say, we're very much open for business and seeking to identify new uh, viable lending opportunities to uh, help with the construction of new homes. Okay, and uh, it's not just houses uh, that you build. Uh, you make funding available for apartments, accommodation of any sort. Absolutely, yeah. We, we, we can fund um, our remit extends to that of student accommodation and, and really anything that adds to the housing stock. Um, so we, we fund uh, a number of we fund a number of apartment schemes uh, and obviously social housing is a big part of what we do. 
about a third of all the loans we approve relate to social affordable housing schemes. Um, and uh, when, we, when we're funding those, because of the, the risk profile is, is, that, is that much better, i.e. there's less sales risk, um, you know, it, it's a very competitively priced product and uh, we're anxious to, to fund more of them. In terms of uh, the percentage of uh, the cost of uh, a development, what is available to people? Yeah, we, unlike the banks, we go a little further than the, than the traditional high street banks in terms of our, um, our, the amount we'll lend on a project. We do up to 80% of the cost of a project. And in many cases, uh, we, obviously the site itself represents uh, a part of that cost and, and we treat that site. Uh, we get full value for that in terms of the uh, calculation of the, of the equity that uh, a person is bringing to a project. So as I say, we do up to 80% of the project cost. Okay, uh, and uh, you may even make funding available to local authorities. Uh, Louth County Council will be there tomorrow, will it? Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's not so much us funding local authorities, but it's, it's really about us identifying uh, situations where the local authority uh, has perhaps uh, entered into a contract with a local developer for a turnkey, um, a turnkey acquisition of, of social housing units. And we can, we can step in and, and provide finance to the developer who is uh, constructing those units for the local authority as the, as the eventual end purchaser. Okay, I'm sure those in the industry are very familiar with what you do, but as you say, uh, you'll be meeting with those who, who would like uh, to explore this a, a bit more in the Glenside tomorrow morning. Uh, you need to make contact uh, with uh, HBFI in advance, do you? Well, ideally, yes. I mean, you can contact us via our website, which is www.hbfi.ie, um, or uh, you see us on, on LinkedIn. Uh, if you could let us know you're coming. Um, that would be great. We'd love to see as many people there as possible. Uh, it starts at half seven. It's a breakfast meeting, so uh, uh, this breakfast will be there as well. So uh, we'd love to see as many people come along as possible. Okay, very good. David, thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you for having me, Michael. That's uh, David O'Doherty of Home Building Finance Ireland. Now, before we leave you today, let me give you or bring you some of uh, the comments uh, that have been coming to us uh, this morning. Jerry in Wilkinson has been in touch and he says it's shocking and so sad see how acceptable cocaine use is here now. It's so commonplace in our pubs and towns that most people turn a blind eye and it is a scourge on our towns and on our young people. Thank you indeed, Jerry. Uh, we had a text there not so long ago from somebody who was saying that they couldn't get into the toilets in uh, the pubs in their local towns because they're always uh, closed. The doors are, are closed because of people inside taking cocaine. Um, we would uh, a text then uh, from somebody who says, the most important thing to remember is that land is private. Uh, this is to do with the control of dogs. Uh, but our caller says no one should be allowed to trespass, whether it's dogs or scramblers or quad bikes. They're illegal on other people's property. Thank you indeed uh, for that. Margaret in touch with us today as well. And she asks if Jed Nash has forgotten what Labour did when it was in government with Fine Gael. It wasn't what they promised before the election in 2011. Uh, people will remember the Tesco type promises all right Margaret she says I'm always bemused by opposition politicians they have all of the answers and the money it seems for everything until they get in then the excuses start Jed may have forgotten but the people haven't Paddy Duffy has a a similar perspective uh, on this too Margaret he says the problem that the Labour Party has is that very few people believe what they say anymore because of their conduct in the 20th 2011 to 2016 government. They seem to have a social conscience when they're in opposition, but that same conscience leaves them once 
they're in government. Thanks, uh, Paddy. Uh, James Indrahada uh, says, it's becoming very obvious that the Labour Party don't want to get elected by coming out with these outlandish claims of a million homes over a decade. We don't even have enough material to build 100,000 homes in the country. Most of my week is spent trying to source materials to complete jobs that I have. Uh, going on. Thanks uh, for that, James. Another text from somebody who says, has Jed Nash forgotten what Labour did when they were in government with Fine Gael? Thank you as well. Uh, a lot of uh, criticism of uh, the Labour Party there in those messages and thanks to everybody who has shared their thoughts with us. Uh, our time is up again for another day. Uh, Maggie McGuire researched today. Chris Murray was in the control term. I'm Michael. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie